Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Arts Equator Theatre Podcast. I'm Matt Lyon, and I have with me, as always, Naeem Kapadia. Hello, everyone. Nabila Saeed. Hi. And Kathy Rowland. Hello. Today, we're going to go through our lists of the favourite shows that we saw in 2019. And we're going to kind of give our lists and talk about them individually, and then we're going to chime in on some shows that we had in common. I won't give away what those are. Instead, let's start with Naeem's list. Hi. So um, my list this year, I'm just going to do this chronologically in terms of what I watched. Um, it starts with Ai Hitam, A Black History of Singapore, which was a performance by Ng Sheng, Sharon Freezer, and Irfan Kazban as part of the Fringe Festival. Um, it was a lecture performance about the sort of African diaspora in Singapore. I really enjoyed getting to know a community which has sort of unfortunately perhaps been effaced from the national narrative. And mm. I think that's very much a theme of a lot of shows this year, just going against what was the traditional established story in, you know, um, our our history books, in, in the way in which propaganda in this country is um, established. And mm. it was very interesting just getting that sense of, you know, a community which has really been there for a long time and learning a little bit more about that. Secondly, Late Company by um, Jordan Tannehill, a Canadian playwright. This was by Pangdemonium and it was about um, a couple who have invited a boy to dinner who had bullied their child into suicide and they're trying to find answers about how this event took place. Yeah, reminiscent of kind of a Yasmin Reza play, everybody sitting down and talking it through. And a very, very painful dinner mm. table confrontation ensues. Mm. For Late Company... For me, it was just a really, really powerful, strong play that tackled important topics like cyberbullying, teen suicide, modern parenting, something that was very relevant to Singapore as a country which prioritises hardware over hardware. And it was just delicately, sensitively directed and animated by strong performances. Third on my list is uh, Displaced Persons Welcome Dinner by Jose Sulaiman, which was um, staged by Checkpoint Theatre as part of a CIFA commission. And which I think we all saw. Yes, yeah. and it's yeah, so set in the world of humanitarian aid. It's um, about a fictitious um, aid agency and in a certain overseas refugee camp dealing with, you know, various problems that prop up and the different personalities involved in running this organisation. But Displaced Persons Welcome Dinner, it was a show about a world which we perhaps don't hear very much about, the world of humanitarian yeah. aid. But what I really liked was how that story can be transplanted to so many other organisations, so many other institutions oh, okay. which are so flawed. And what was really interesting was how the selfless desires of the individuals get conflated with their selfish interests. And how that was played out in the different characters explored. Yeah. Then um, next one on my list is Acting Mad. This was by The Necessary Stage as part of this new platform called The Orange Production. It was um, a verbatim piece of theatre that explored mental health issues um, within the acting community. And really interesting just getting a perspective from the actors, people who kind of lay bare their souls on stage, but yet have all these internal issues that they almost have to hide. And also another interesting perspective was the sort of gap between the older and the younger generation of theatre makers, yeah. which we got a yeah. sense of. So it was really interesting just getting that 
that idea. And again, for me, it was a play that was really meant to open a conversation about a topic which is just not spoken about very much and which mm. absolutely should. And last but not least was a show which we just discussed in the podcast last month, Ruma Dayak by mm. the brand new collective Rupa Collab. It was written and directed by Nessa Anwar and it's about um, a safe house for you know troubled Malay youths. It was just really interesting and a very rich and authentic um, style of writing, um, which obviously is full credit to Nessa as the writer. Wonderful year for dialogue, mm-hmm. catching that sort of earthy exchanges between this this group of youngsters who are really just trying to find acceptance in society. Yeah. And it was a wonderful and powerful story that, you know, takes a bit of time at least for me to get into it. But once I did, I, I was really hooked. Yes, and that's the play that we'll move on to talk about. We've all got that in common in some way, three of us because we uh, saw it and one of us because we... Produced, produced it. it, so uh, I, I will so mute Nabila's <laughs> mic, I guess. But yeah, for me, I think that was the strongest show I saw this year as well. And it's interesting because usually the strongest show that I see, I am a bit of a whore for production values, <laughs> I will admit. But it's so nice to see a production that overcomes that, clearly made with $2.50. But that two dollars fifty spent a little bit more than that. Seven dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> yeah, seven fifty. Yeah, you get two fifty was the change from ten dollars, <laughs> and it was really nice to see that money spent so well and everything gelling together. Complex playwriting, well drawn characters, good performances. Yeah, Rumadai actually was something that I really enjoyed, um, and it's number two on my list. But really, number one is Displaced Persons by Huzair Sulaiman. Uh, fantastically directed by Claire Wong, who uh, who is the co-artistic director with Huzair of Checkpoint Theatre. The work, I think, was quite a brave work because it could have been so easy to address a subject that maybe was closer to the bicentennial. I think that this point that it was about corporate culture is crucial because I know that people have said, well, you know, why not address some other issues about the refugee crisis Mm. and Mm. so on. But I I think that when you think about Singapore, Singapore is the regional head of multiple multinationals. And it is, it is, it sets itself up together with Hong Kong, for example, as this place of, you know, kind of um, cooperations, right? And the work is about the human cost of a cooperation upon the individual, if you take away the fact that it deals with the humanitarian crisis, it is still what it is. It is about a woman who, in the workplace, experiences uh, a rape and how the corporation closes ranks mm-hmm. around yeah. her to protect itself, right? And that's bare what it's about. So I thought that, you know, when you when you look at that work, it was, um, it was a work that also addressed um, a space that is very privileged, yes. right? But this is how you do it. If you're mm. going to write about an upper middle class or a middle class community, if you're going to write about the one percenters, let's say, mm. although this is not about the one percenters, sure, this but is how you privileged. do it. Right. Mm. You know, it's not... Um, I mean, you can you can look at the crevices of society and, and give representation to groups and communities that are overlooked, and that's one way of doing it. Mm. But if you're going to address those that are powerful hold their feet to the fire. And I think that Huzair did this in this work. And we, the audience, then end up displaced because we go in expecting one thing Mm. and we come out displaced in our expectations. That's a very interesting argument, Mm -hmm. which I can agree with 
for the most part, with the caveat that I couldn't accept that it wasn't about the refugee crisis. Mm. Because yes, it was about corporate culture. And I think your reading of it in those mm -hmm. terms is absolutely spot on. Mm -hmm. But for me, it also tried to be about a fairly realistic refugee centre. And then it kind of fell through two stools because it ended up, it had a, a me too kind of thread, mm -hmm. as you said, right. the employee's boss essentially rapes her. Mm -hmm. And that goes through the corporate system in a very upsetting way. But for me, it played that thread off against the um, refugee thread mm. so that the reason they ended up not firing him was because if they fired the rapist, people would die. Mm -hmm. And for me, that implies that you've used the refugee thread as the foil for the far more important Me Too thread. And for me, those issues each deserve mm -hmm. their own plays. And so I really admired the ambition of this play, but I found it problematic ultimately. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a reality, right? Over the past two years, the humanitarian aid industry has actually been in a spotlight. There have been cases of people committing suicide because of abuse. Mm. Mm. So the, the spotlight has turned on the community itself. So I think that, yes, I, I take your point that, you know, you should, it appears as if the playwright is playing two issues against each other in order to booster up the complexity of the Me Too movement, for example, yes. and resolution. But I think that there is a reality that the play is talking about that may not be something that the local Singapore audience, for example, is, or even just the general, you know, kind of theatre-going audience might be attuned to. But I do think that it is a reality that those kinds of trade-offs happen. I definitely agree with Cathy here. It, for me, it didn't really matter that the humanitarian aid story was a bit of a foil to get to the heart of the story about corporate culture and dealing with the Me Too issue, uh, because essentially it's about how institutions fail individuals. As someone who comes from, you know, the banking industry, I saw a lot of parallels mm. in terms of the characters mm. who were portrayed regardless of the fact that I know very little about, you know, humanitarian aid. And I think that was part of what Jose was trying to do, to just mm. use one particular type of industry, if you like, and, and show how universal that experience can be, how that can be transplanted to any country. And it's really quite deliberate within the play that we are not really told of the country. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Everyone's very global. It could be Singaporean, it could be somewhere, you know, within the region, but there's a certain universality about the experience yeah. of you know, people trying to do good, but then at the same time, you know, to what extent does it really benefit yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the individual. So it was interesting to get that gloss of the humanitarian industry, but I would not really describe it as a play that is ultimately about refugees. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, third on your list, Kathy? Um, third on my list is Aihitam, right? And I saw it twice. Uh, it was a real pleasure. So I have to say that I did not watch many shows uh, this year. So the ones that have made my list are really the shows that touched me very personally. So, Aihitam, for the things that you said as well, I loved the amount of research that went into it. I also thought that how it ends on this note of saying that in Singapore, the amount of uh, racism against people of African uh, heritage is not acute and it's not obvious, but that is a consequence of, in a way, a racist policy of not mm. opening 
our immigration policies, let's say, to mm. the African continent, for example, as opposed to, let's say, Afro-Caribbean British people or African-Americans mm. or French Africans, right? I thought that was such a finely delivered point. Mm. It filled me with so much of, of pathos. And I speak about this from quite a personal connection to the issue. And it was beautifully done. I thought also the directing, the way that the little bits and images were used with very little resources. Really, you've got one woman who's just talking all the time. But why was I not bored by this? Mm. Absolutely. And I think that for me, it was just the simplicity of the performance. Um, the direction was by Irfan Kasban. Mm-hmm. Making use of really simple things. You know, there was an OHP, which reflected a bowl of water. Yes, yes. You know, things like that. There would be um, the writer, researcher, Eng Yisheng, would occasionally come on stage and just sort of be around to do a, a few movements and things yeah, like yeah, that. There yeah. was a a very, very simple staging, um, which did not detract from that powerful story. Yeah, and yeah. even though it was a lecture performance in question, you know, that that's obviously a theme as, as to um, in terms of, you know, theatre this year, whether that is a true blue theatre production, mm-hmm. I was thoroughly engrossed yes. because it was a story that I did not know about, mm-hmm. which I wanted to find out more about yeah. and which I could not help drawing parallels to, again, about, so many other aspects of society that right. slip underneath the narrative, underneath the established order. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that really stood out. And my fourth on my list actually is more of an honourable mention yeah. because it's actually um, Ae from Tana Ae by Drama Box. And I think it was the script that was written by Zul Fadli Rashid. It ties back to Ae Hitam because these are works that surprise me. There are works that inform me, there are works that give me something that I did not know about Singapore in a way that was not didactic, in a way that moved me emotionally because both the works are about actually the Orang Salata. The reason it doesn't make my top five is because I did not think that the first part of the work, Tana, really worked at all. I right. did not enjoy that at all. But I, which is the second play in that, it surfaces histories and it surfaces people and it surfaces stories. And when the night that we watched it, actually the community from Johor had come up and we were sitting next to, I think, one of the headmen there and they had kids there in the audience and, you know, the whole families had come. It was just such a beautiful moment to see them included in the performance because they were not only the raw material, but there was place given for them to be there. Mm. And I liked that. And my final, just a time, final Work is actually not a Singapore work. So, you know, just I got a chance to watch Gold Rain and Hailstones by Jit Morat, directed by Gavin Yap and produced by Instant Cafe Theatre in KL. And this is a play that is over 20 years old. You know, it's very hard to find work that ages well. And especially within Southeast Asia, a lot of the older works, sometimes they are off their time Mm -hmm. and they're off that historical moment. So they're great and they were important when they were staged, but they don't age well at all, right? Some of the things that Second Breakfast Company has staged Mm -hmm. have not aged well because the scripts just are not very great now. But I was surprised at how beautifully the dialogue translated, Mm. how sensitively Mm. the issues of agency and uh, race relations in Malaysia, but also of the role of the woman in a relationship, how well these aged. So that was that was a moment of joy. Great. That's it. So moving on to my list, I've only got four this year, I think for three reasons. Reason one, because I'm a hateful, hateful person. <laughs> reason two, I didn't see as much as I usually do this year because I was finishing up my MA. And reason three... 
Even with the amount I saw this year, probably over 20 shows, I would actually usually expect to be able to make a top five. Maybe we'll talk about at the mm, end mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what kind of year for theatre this was. Yeah. Anyway, Rumor Dyak, which we've already discussed, is at the top for me. After that, Late Company, which Naeem mentioned, for me, production values. Pangdemonium, absolutely reliable for those, even when they do plays that I wouldn't stage. Now, Naeem, you said that you found this a very strong and powerful play. Powerful, I'll give you. Play, it felt a little bit more like a collection of arguments put in script form. But it were they were very good arguments, and the actors inhabited them. The set design was about as good as it could be, really. Excellent, yeah. And I think I completely agree. For me, it was a classic case of how text and performance mm. come together to create compelling theatre. And how the theater. one can elevate the other. They really do. because, And I think we should talk a little bit about the performances. Mm. Janice Cole, who plays um, the grieving mother of this child who committed suicide, for me gave probably the standout performance of the year. Um and I was just yeah, really, really bold. I mean, you could see people sniffling. I mean, that that yeah. real sense of wanting to understand how could you be unaware of your your own child being so unhappy mm. and really wanting to get to the root of that problem. And the way she inhabited that character, just, you know, at the start, everything is, is sort of like bottled in, but she slowly brings her guard down and that transition in the way she, she did it and obviously the way in which Tracy Pang, the director, allowed that story to unfold, you know, so sensitively. I think for me, it just came together to really create compelling theatre. And yeah, for me, it was a definite standout. When you've got two people sitting down talking to each other, essentially you want Tracy Pang to direct that. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. She truly excels. Yeah, she's really, really got that going on. Next up for me was Acting Mad, which, disclaimer, many, many former students of mine are involved in, so I guess I would feel warm towards it. (laughs) Um, But no, you said... I think, Naeem, it feels like an important work, and it does, but in a very strange and small way. Mm. Because I don't think it's pretending that it's making the great statement on mental illness. And what I loved about this play was that it was so very aware of and focused on precisely what it was doing. And it made no claims to anything else. So it's going to discuss specific people and their specific feelings. And if it can draw some conclusions or ask some questions from that, then sure, let's leave that hanging in the air and let's really try and include the audience in that discussion. Mm. But I guess for me, that's kind of the contrast with displaced persons, which for me was a little bit more answer based. And I didn't necessarily feel like it owned those answers. Whereas Mm. this was about the questions and the very real lived experience and seeing that come on the stage. After that, I think I'm the only one who saw this, the wee question mark and the mountain movers <laughs> by theatre practice. I think we laugh because... Is this an actual play? Or something it's, you I know, it's a crazy title. Smoking something. It's not only a play, a real play, it's in a whole wee question mark series. Mm. So ah. there... Yeah. I, is it the third or the fourth? Or I don't, I've seen Something like, like that, yeah. I've seen at least two. <laughs> but rather than speaking about the individual piece, I think that what the theatre practice is doing with this series of children's shows is really admirable because 
Eye theatre is no more,、mm. but a lot of those shows were kind of proscenium, painted backdrop. The child sits there, and they might as well be watching TV.、Mm. And what you get with the theatre practice is you get in the round staging, you、right. get some call and response, you get the actors having little ad libs where they call on the fact that the kids in the audience are really enjoying it, and、oh. they point that out,、mm. and it just feels. Homemade in the best possible way, like a homemade gift.、Mm-hmm. Like you know who you're making it for. <laughs> you put the love into it. You tie the ribbon on just right. And yeah, if you buy something from a store, it's going to be shinier and more expensive. But I don't think that's why you go to the theatre.、Mm. Which takes us on to Nabila. Oh, that's quick.、Um, My list is kind of like fun because no one seems to have watched any of the shows that I watched <laughs> this year. No, that, that that's not true. But、um, firstly, it's、um, Eat Duck by Checkpoint Theatre, written by Zenda Tan. Which actually, I think a couple of us did watch, didn't、yeah. we? So we will end up talking about <laughs> that shortly. Yeah. So that's、um, kind of like a multi generational、uh, play about a Chinese Singaporean family who、um, basically all have reasons to hate each other for for some reasons, but you know, all come together because、um, the. The matriarch of the family dies, and they come together for her funeral, kind of a very traditional Taoist funeral,、mm. um, and it kind of rubs against how modern some of the family members are. I really enjoyed it,、um, despite it being like kind of a, a, a first work of a young playwright. I thought it was quite assured writing. The ending scene that I really liked was wordless, <laughs> funnily、mm. enough.、Um, but it's it's when they finally do the funeral rites for Ama. It was really moving, and I remember crying, and it. Only work because of the work that had been done preceding it, right? Where all these family members are like squabbling or having these own internal rifts,、uh, and the one time that they all come together was just like so moving, and it's so relatable、mm. as someone who, you know, anyone who has a family who has some issues with their family. Sometimes you just put aside your disagreements and you come together for that one person. I really enjoyed that work, and I felt that the company really put. Um, their might and their their guidance behind Zenda、yeah. for a work that was by a young writer. I felt that it was quite big actually in how it was、um, presented.、Right. It was a confident staging. It, it was. Naim, you saw that as well. I did. I、yeah. did. And look, I I agree with a lot of what Nabila said.、Mm-hmm. It's a very assured、uh, debut, debut debut work by Zenda Tan.、Yeah. For me, I just felt that it was. A show which really could have done with some editing. It was、mm. a bit overlong, and there were possibly too many characters. There were, if I recall correctly, there were five grandchildren、mm. and five adults, and I didn't quite see the need to introduce that many characters because some obviously get more stage time than others, and then you get the sense that some characters are just there for sort of a window dressing purpose. So I, I just felt that it could have been tighter as、mm. a whole, and that was maybe what. Left me just a little bit dissatisfied at the end. I can kind of see what you mean about having too many characters. I think there were like ten members yeah, of the cast or something.、Um, but I kind of felt that I could identify with each one at different levels. You know, like the adult, the young person.、Um, the only character that maybe was not the strongest was weirdly enough. I think the character that Zenda was. That kind of、oh, represented the herself, which is the girlfriend. The yeah, the girlfriend who was like、mm. the outsider in the family, who really like I was like I don't know why she's there. That was a very expository、there. scene, wasn't it? Yeah, that one scene was like very weak for me. But besides that, I thought it was, I thought it was great. I liked it. I'm kind of with Naim on this one. I wanted it to be edited, and after the show, I asked myself which of these scenes is actually necessary in a kind of an Aristotelian plot sense,、mm. and it literally was that last scene. Yeah. 
Nothing fact, else yeah. contributed. You say, I guess you felt that it contributed tonally and in terms of mood and emotion. I didn't get that. In fact, I thought the opening scene was superfluous. I would have liked to be launched straight into the funeral. I thought that preamble was perhaps unnecessary. That wordless scene, I agree, was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just because of everything that happened before that yes. it became all the more poignant. But there were a lot of other little scenes. And I think mm. that's, again, part of the, the whole exercise of, of plotting it, mm. right? They wanted to give each of these characters a moment so two people to interact with each other. I didn't need to see each and every one of those scenes. I felt like a succession of flies on walls and it seemed to be wanting or pretending that it had a plot. Like there were the setups of various plot lines but they never paid off and that mm. sense of squandering for me really took me away from it. And just one other point I had, now that I recall this a little bit more, there was only one actor who played two different characters, yes. both an older and a younger one. And that really threw me because I was trying to wonder what the mm -hmm. point of that casting decision was. He yeah. plays both an older uncle as well as one of the younger cousins, uh, one of the younger cousins yeah. who's a bit of an estranged wild child or something like that. Yeah. And I was initially thinking, oh, are you trying to draw parallels between the generations? And if mm. that was indeed the intent, why not have a few more of the actors double up? Yeah. And you can economise on the casting as well. Mm. But for whatever reason, that was the only actor who Han did that. Han Chiu, I think. Yeah, yes. Correct. So again, that, that decision in terms of the casting itself threw me and mm. left me a little bit... Yeah, in many plays it would work, but in a naturalistic play where everybody's playing one character... It just seemed weird, yeah. yeah. Having said that, he did it very well. Yes. Yeah. Can I just say that, like, in terms of this um, superfluous scenes thing, right? Mm. I'm kind of, like, in two minds about it. Because as someone who is also kind of, like, an emerging playwright and, and has been there, I feel like there's a sense of, like, generosity that comes with a company that lets you write mm. a play... Uh, in, in a sense, like the way you want it without imposing uh, an aesthetic or a vision that the company has. And I feel like Checkpoint does that quite a lot. And Zender's not the first playwright that they've like, you know, guided and been part of a mentorship kind of program. Um, and I feel like there's something to be said about that. I think for me, there's generosity to the playwright and there's generosity to the audience. And those need to be balanced. Mm. Yep. And and I, and I can say that for someone who's actually watched a lot of Checkpoint's <laughs> recent plays and, and also reviewed a lot of them because mm. I've seen Lucas Tan's yes. uh, Lucas Frego, Frego yeah. and then there was obviously Pooja Nancy's um, Thick Beats, Thick Thick Beats, Beats for, for, for Good Girls. So mm. a lot of, you know, and obviously one of the company's initiatives is to basically give a voice to these emerging writers who mm. are all associate artists. There's also and, um, and, and Dana Lam's Still Life. Dana Lam's Still Life and actually the other one I wanted to mention was Shift Tandon's The Good, The Bad and The Sholay. Yes. Uh, also a very <gasps> yes. strong play in its year. But, you know, I feel that one thing Checkpoint has done with a lot of these shows is that perhaps shows a little bit too much indulgence because yeah. almost every single one of those shows I felt could have been trimmed. It is a common sentiment I feel when I step yeah. out of any of these shows. Great, wonderful, I'm happy I caught that. Could have been reduced by about 20% in terms of the material. Nabila, as you say, it comes from a generous impulse. Mm. 
Let's go back to your list. Yes, let's go back. Um, so next on my list is Merdeka by Wild Rice. Um, and that's kind of like a, a, a what I call like a chase through Singapore history, but kind of like the quote-unquote lesser-known alternative histories of Singapore that people might not know. Definitely students would not know from reading a Singaporean history textbook about some of these um, so-called episodes. I really enjoyed uh, the different the different stories that came through, um, but what I especially enjoyed about it was the performances by the actors. Um, so there was kind of like a two-level framing, right? One was a reading group that comes together and discusses um, different uh, like episodes from Singapore's history. And then there are the historical characters themselves from these stories. And I felt that the actors really worked hard to bring life to the characters that they were playing. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. I also really enjoyed the use of music. Um, hmm. The songs that were sung, like the evocative use of music, I think, in that play is really something that isn't really written about a lot in the reviews that I've seen. Um, and I felt yeah. that Alfian and um, Neo Hai Bin both um, used that quite uh, quite well. Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed Merdeka. I would have to say that it's kind of like um, low on my list of like top five. So that's why I'm talking about it now. Um, but I know you guys are looking at me with like frowny faces. So <laughs> what do you have to, to say? Well, so, so Merdeka, I, I don't deny that it is an important play in terms of drawing our attention to forgotten histories. My question is that is theatre necessarily the best medium for that? Because when I look at Merdeka, I feel that the entire text could have achieved its goal through a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> delivered for students. And I it would have, have been very informative. List. We wouldn't even need to turn up. Just give us the library reading list. But you know what? 8,000 people went to watch it. Yep. Yeah. So we and I don't think eight thousand people would have read these books. So I also have a lot of reservations about the work. I was disappointed with this work. I found that it was quite utilitarian. That it was the bicentennial year, and there were definitely gaps in the way in our knowledge of history. And so this work set out to just fill mm. in those gaps, right, with these stories. Um, so I, I found that there was a rigidity to the structure, right, that yeah. I didn't really enjoy. But having said that, um, one of our colleagues who's much younger than, well, younger than me for sure, not that much younger from Napila, mm -hmm. saying that, yeah, um, the work surprised her because there were things that she didn't know, right? There were these stories. It was about knowing, not about anything else that belongs to the realm of theatre for me. For example, there's one scene where all the actors are in a horizontal line, miming typing mm -hmm. and saying lines which are scrolling behind them That was doing the, the Bandung, was that the Bandung no, conference? The Fajar, um, oh, the Fajar. I don't remember yes. which one it was. Yeah. In a newspaper font. Yeah. Any time that happens to you on stage, you need to turn around mm. and go the other way mm. because that is not theatre. Mm. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if that's not... I don't know if I'd say that that's not theatre. It's just text. <gasps> it's know. reading the, text. They're standing there mining typing. I, I really think Merdeka was a wonderfully researched piece of writing mm. I just felt that a lot of it was very very expository yeah. and that's why full credit to that cast mm. who really brought oh my God, the cast. stories to life if, if not for that cast I think a lot of people would be walking away with mixed feelings and it was probably due to that cast, cast just by animating all of those personalities by playing with song and accents and languages mm. that, you know, what would otherwise have been relatively dry facts and figures and mm. text, you know, really came to life. So I think that's what 
ultimately made it memorable for me. Mm. Yeah, I think that this is a work that um, had a lot of build-up already because it was going to be Althian's new play. It was going to be one of the important works for the Bicentennial and it was going to be one of the banner events from Wild Rice. It was then pushed out of the kind of arts insider kind of environment into the public stratosphere through what was happening politically with Althian's name being mentioned in Parliament. So to me, it created so much of expectation for this work that I don't know if the work I think it benefited from the publicity because more people went to see it. I think it was a wonderful outpouring of support for Alfian and yeah. for the arts. Mm. And I think that was a that was an important moment for the country to see. But I don't know if all of that attention also benefited the work. I think it must have been quite a high-pressure production to be involved yeah. in, right? And it felt also like... Yeah, talk about editing new playwrights' works. This is a work that could have done with a lot more editing, perhaps... Finishes off, Nabia. Yes. Um, next on my list is A Clockwork Orange by Theatre Eka Matra. I wish you guys had seen it. Mm. Um, it's actually a Malay kind of contemporary version of the 1962 um, cult classic Clockwork Orange, of course, by Anthony Burgess. Um, and in this version, Rizman Putra plays L. Um, of course, in the original, it was Alex, and here he's L, like a kind of like more Malay <laughs> version, I suppose. Uh, it's The script is transcreated by Zulfatli Rashid, who's become kind of like a go-to for translation, adaptation works. Mm, yeah. He did um, IA as well. He right? did IA as well, mm. yeah. So um, he was really, really good. Uh, there was this phrase, Abe Amacham, that still rings in my head. Like the way he used it was... Um, what does it mean? It means like, so what now? Hmm. But the way it's delivered is like, takes on various tones, you know, okay. in the play. And I think it's maybe the last line. Okay. And if you've watched or read A Clockwork Orange, like a lot of things happen to Al, like really terrible things. And at the end, he kind of like just cycles back to like, you know, zero... Yeah. And he ends with the same line that's like, so what now? And it's like just so blasé, but because of what's happened, it's really disturbing. Um, and what I really liked about it was the pairing of director um, Noor Effendi Ibrahim, who is no stranger to making like disturbing, poetic, yes. beautiful work with um, the set design of uh, Mohamed Farid Jainal and Akbar Shadik, which created this really gorgeous, seductive, very pink, purplish, seductive world. Um, and it's really seduced you into a actually very emotionally decrepit mind space of the actual youths in the play or yeah. in the in the story. Um, and it was just done really well. And despite it being transposed into like a Malay, um, you know, Malay depiction or Malay version, it actually really weirdly worked. And it's also because, I don't know whether you guys know this, but A Cloud Orange, the word Orange is actually a pun on the word orang because Anthony Burgess yeah. had lived in Singapore oh, and Malaysia. Course, yeah. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, so it works so well in a mm. way that I was really surprised by. And then because it's about Malay youths and like, you know, the fact that they go around like raping people, it's really actually really violent. But you never ever see any violence. Mm -hmm. But because of that, it made it even more like violent, you know what I mean? Because the violence happens in your mind, you know. Yes. I thought it was just a very, very powerful work by Theatre Ekamatra. I'm glad they did it. Great. And I'm sure it wasn't easy to get the rights and all these yeah, things, you know. Yeah. So I just thought it was an like, ambition and it paid off. Next on my list is Flowers by Drama Box. Um, that was uh, conceptualized by Han Shuemi, resident artist of Drama Box. And that was kind of like a, almost like yeah, you go on a tour of this house, uh, a two-story house where they've outfitted to uh, make it into like a bit, basically a Chinese Singaporean family lives yeah. here. And you know that a family has lived here, but now there's only one person left. So everyone else has moved out. So all the rooms are kind of like in states of like abandoned. Um, um, things are wrapped up in like plastic and things like that. 
And as you listen to an audio recording, um, which I think is written by Jean Tay, um, it's mm. narrated by a protagonist, basically the daughter of the house. Mm. Uh, and she at first gives you like very like poetic, almost like um, kind of like harmless stories about what's happened in the different rooms. And you go from room to room like as and when you like. Um, but then you realise that there's some sorts of like low-level um, violence that's happened okay. in these rooms. I mean... I say violence, but it's really things like verbal abuse, right. um, maybe physical abuse, but it's kind of like just hinted at. And the whole piece is about um, patriarchal violence in society. So you know that, you know, the father has done maybe something to the mother and then the mother kind of like passes it down to the children. And then because of that, the children are like, um, basically they leave the house because they can't stand, you know, like these kinds of things. But nothing is explicit. Everything is really kind of like, um, yeah, kind of like low-lying. And then there's an actual like male actor who's the father and he kind of like just potters around the house, he's cooking, he's eating, and he's doing really like nothing much. But the fact that he's this, um, he's kind of like the villain in the story. But when you see him, he's so harmless. Mm. So there's this like idea yes. of like the yeah, mm -hmm. you just feel very mixed, and 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 I I really like that. Um, it's kind of subtle, but I enjoyed it. And first on my list is Blunt Knife by Eng Kai Er. Uh, that was a one-woman presentation where she talks to us about her past life as a competitive ice skater. Mm. But it was really kind of like muddled because basically she's also telling us about her relationship with her adult instructor at the time and she was underage. So, you know, this is a very yeah. illicit relationship. And what I enjoyed about it is the audience members, you you feel there's a kind of like generous open sharing from the part of Kai Er, but at the same time it's undercut because as an audience member, you're kind of complicit in this relationship that right. she's telling you about and you don't know whether you're supposed to judge her or you're supposed to like kind of like ask her if she's okay or you almost feel like she is um, confronting you with this story but not wanting you to judge her at the same time. Yeah. So it's kind of this like weird fraught relationship uh, between audience member and performer which I really enjoyed and for me it was like the most memorable theatrical moment of the year for me. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, yes. talking about the over the year kind of idea, in a tiny number of words, my friends, 2019 <laughs> theatre. Naeem. Um, well, okay, look, I think it's Too important. many words already. <laughs> Mixed. Thank you. All oh, right. Um, the smaller works were the mightiest works. Nice. For me, hoping for better in 2020. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Kathy will finish us off. <laughs> These profound words uh, which are about to land on us. Learning things that I didn't know mm. and being emotionally moved. And that will do us. Thank you very much, everybody, and bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.